we just finished a series last week. Uh, today I'm going to start a message. It's a standalone message. It's not part of a series. I actually had my entire sermon done and ready, um, I think, Thursday night. Um, and then Saturday night, last night, or yesterday afternoon, rather, um, I started thinking uh, about uh, the season that many of us might be in. And I just felt compelled to change my sermon and, and preach a message entitled this, I am a nail. I am a nail. Look at the person next to you and say, I am a nail. I am a nail. The whole premise of today's sermon is going to be built around uh, faithfulness and, uh, and what happens when somebody is, is faithfully determined. Faithfully determined, because this is what I've learned. Success is reserved for the determined. You know, it, it doesn't matter uh, which side of the tracks you grew up on. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It, those things don't matter. Uh, success does reserve itself for determined people. That is the common denominator. And so something that uh, is wrong in my ears uh, for a long time is that faithfulness uh, precedes favor. So favor always follows faithfulness. And, and so it's very difficult during tough seasons, hard seasons, to stay determined. Uh, one of my close friends who's being baptized this morning um, shot me some pictures last week uh, of his house in 24 inches of water through his entire home. They're here in this room right now. Um, when life gets flooded, uh, when, when you're flooded with bills that you could handle before oil pulled this nasty stunt. Now you can't handle them. When it comes in like a flood, the Lord does put a standard before it and say, okay, this is far enough. But determination, determination is required. Uh, my mother and the Lord used to tell me all the time, her name is Jeannie Mayo, she used to tell me, it's not my blood mom, she kind of adopted me spiritually, she used to tell me this all the time, she'd say, Frankie, when it's hard to be faithful, never forget, faithfulness always wins. Faithfulness always wins. It, sometimes it takes a while for the season to change, but it always wins. Wins. How many of you have ever driven in the snow? Raise your hand if you've ever driven in the snow. Um, it's so interesting. Uh, how many of you know how to get across an ice patch in your car? Raise your hand if you know how to do that. Uh, there you go. Now, here, here's the thing. For those of you that are uh, blue blood Texans, you don't know how to get across. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going to save you a fender bender right now. Okay, you'll never experience this in the South because we cancel school on... Uh, <laughs> if it's too cold outside, we'll cancel school. But in the North, in the North, 
uh, it, it could be a typhoon, a blizzard. They're not canceling school for anything. And so when you hit ice, you got to know how to get across. Here's, this is how you got to think. Imagine you're running across a kitchen floor with your socks on. And then you come to a stop. You begin to slide, right? So when you're sliding with socks on, what do you do if you want to stop? You just wait. Right? Now, if you're sliding on the kitchen floor and you decide that you're going to go like this while you're sliding, you're going to put out. Right? The, so when you hit ice, you just wait. Am I telling the truth, everybody? You do not hit the brakes. If you hit the brakes to stop, you're going to do everything except stop. Am I telling the truth? You just, you just stay the course. If you stay the course, it'll be scary. You don't know how long you're going to slide, but you're going to come out on the other side of it. Faithfulness always wins. You just stay the course. You don't slam on the brakes. You don't turn the wheel. You just stay the course. You just stay the course. Faithfulness always wins. I want to talk about something particular in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 22 verse 23. Uh, God looked at this, this, this gentleman. Um, and, and his name is, is Eliakim. Uh, it's a good biblical name for you, Eliakim. And, and what he, I want you to read the chapter when you get home. Don't read it right now. Um, but God looked down and, and he saw that Jerusalem was in spiritual chaos. Nobody was being faithful anymore except for this one gentleman. And this is what God told him. He's, he's going to place him in a position of honor. Verse 23, he will bring honor to his family name. Watch this. For I will drive him firmly in place like a nail in the wall. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Has somebody ever said something? You're like, no, 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 that's what I want. You're, you're ordering off a menu and you got something in mind. They order something. No, 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 I want that. That's, that's what I want. That God is going to establish it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I'll never forget. I was 15 or 16 years old and um, this tornado came ripping through Arkansas. I used to live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Tornado came ripping through and just crushed this entire neighborhood and and we had friends in this neighborhood. Thankfully, they lived. But I walked through this neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever been on a site where a, a, ter, a, a tremendous hurricane or a tornado has been through. But there's only boards and, and root. Everything's just smashed. Just the remnants of a house. No structure. Just the remnants. It's so interesting because boards are snapped in half. Walls are snapped in half. But the nails are right where they were when the person who hammered them in. They're still right where they were. When a nail gets fastened, nothing takes it out. Unless a person deliberately pulls it from its spot. Here's the thing. 
When God decides that you are going to be a nail, there's a few things that happen. If you're taking notes, think through this. A nail is someone that holds things into place. If you are a spiritual nail, you have committed yourself to stay in firm in pursuing God. You have committed yourself to this. And committed to God. It does not matter about anything else. You have committed your life to God. Now, let me say this. A lot of people love what God loves. But you are not committed unless you hate what God hates. It's easy to love what He loves. But hating what He hates is a whole different ballgame. Now we have to discuss commitment. See, it's easy for a couple on their honeymoon to be committed. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. I love, no, no, I love you more. I, no, 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 I love you more. Doodling, hearts, names, nicknames. <laughs> hey, Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear. Uh, that's easy. It's easy when things are going good and you're in the Cayman Islands celebrating your, your honeymoon. But when things get hard, that's when commitment is determined. Here's something about commitment that, that I hope we, we never forget. There's only one degree of commitment and it's total. There's no such thing as partial commitment. That, that doesn't exist. Either you're completely committed or you're not compl committed. Committed at all. You're, you're either all the way in. God, I love what you love. I hate what you hate. And I'm going to worship you with my life. I am committed to you. The second thing is being committed to others. Because here's the deal. When you're a nail, you have driven yourself into place with the grace and mercy of God. But you're also able to say, hey... Other people can hang on me. See, a nail serves two purposes. It holds things in place. And it allows things that can't hold on by itself to hold on to it. See, when you're a nail, you have committed yourself to God. And then there's other people that can hang on to you. That's when you are a nail. Now it's easy for... It's easy to be the strong person when things are going well. It's a very difficult thing to be a strong person when things are not going well. Especially when groupthink comes into play. A good example of groupthink is an in the elevator. When you walk into an elevator, everybody kind of does what everybody else is doing. 
I saw this video once where they were testing groupthink, where they took five people, put them in an elevator, and everybody faced the back wall. And they had a hidden camera. And then when the doors opened, everybody that walked in faced the back wall too. It is so easy to just follow suit. It's a whole different ball game when you say, look guys, I am so committed in my relationship with God. Not only am I committed, but I am going to drag you, help you, push you towards God as well, whether things are tough or not. Now, here's the thing. Mothers are strong nails. Here's what I like to say about moms. They're they're tender as a rose, but they're tough as a nail. If you want to see a mother go ballistic, say something about their kid. They will go crazy. My mom uh, used to uh, just pride herself. She loved Jackie Kennedy. Loved her. She adored Jackie. Jackie Kennedy because there were so many things going on in their personal life Um, her and John's life it's weird to call John F. Kennedy just John but President Kennedy um, there were things going on in their personal life there were things going on the Cold War was going on there was lots of things going on but every time Jackie Kennedy was seen in public and my mom would tell me this all the time that Jackie Kennedy always looked classy and everything was okay And so my mom would tell me all the time, I'm just going to Jackie Kennedy this thing. I'm just going to Jackie Kennedy this thing. (laughs) So she would walk into places and she would just be cool and classy. And she'd always say that, I'm just going to Jackie Kennedy. And and one day uh, I came home with an F on my spelling test. Now, this was an issue because my mom had been working with me diligently night after night on my spelling. And for whatever reason, spelling did not come easy for me. I distinctly remember being in the second grade, having tough, a tough time with the word brown. I don't know what it is about that word. I just had the hardest time. In silent letters, forget about it. I couldn't understand. If it's silent, I'm not supposed to recognize it. Why is it there? <laughs> and then all the rules. And see, I'm one of those black and white guys. Anyone black and white here? Black and white. Well, you make a rule. Let's stick to the rule. I before E, except no. No except nothing. Either it's I before E or it's not. Is it a rule or what? Some of you are like, I'm not following you. That's okay. That's okay. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not quite sure I know what I'm saying. But, but I, my mom worked with me every night. And one day she went to the teacher. And she looked her in the face with her Jackie Kennedy class and said, don't you ever, ever, when mothers repeat the first word twice, it is on. She said, don't you ever put an F on my son's paper again. She goes, we are working night after night after night on his spelling words, and he is being demoralized with your F's. You can put an F in your grade book. You can put an F on his report card. 
But don't you dare put an F on that paper. Because I cannot help him if he feels like he's never going to get better. So you put a D minus, you put a D plus, you put Rumpelstiltskin, you put whatever you want on the paper, but do not put an F. I came home, I was like, I got a D. I got a D. She was like, that's my boy. You get a mom mad, it is on. Moms are nails. They are committed to their kid. They are when they decide. That's the wonderful thing about moms and ladies. Most of the time, they don't make decisions quickly, but when they do, they're nails about it. Let me just kind of transition from moms to talking about women. Women, when they decide to be a nail, all the men say, Amen. When they decide to be a nail, it is powerful. Here's what I'd like to say to the single ladies in the room. Don't be a woman who needs a man. Be a woman a man needs. Thank you, all three of you. I will, I, I'll never forget this story. I was at a restaurant. This was probably five or six years ago. It was after church, and uh, my wife and I were out to eat with, a, uh, with this other couple. We were with two other couples, actually, and there were these two teenage girls, and all they were doing was playing on their phone, playing on their phone, playing on their phone. I'll never forget it. iPhones had just come out. People were going berserk over it. And we were the lame ones because we didn't have an iPhone. But anyway, so one of the guys, he was really successful. He was sitting at the table, and he said, hey, girls. He said, hey, girls, because they're so in it. And they're like, giggle, 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 16 years old. And he goes, what do you, what, what, what do you guys want to do with your life? And I'll never forget this. She goes, we're going to marry somebody rich. <laughs> and they were like, hee, hee. And all the adults were like, and he said something I'll never forget. He goes, why don't you marry a guy who's not rich and then get rich together? I'm telling you, guys, we're not as smart as we tried to make you guys think we are. If a woman gets behind a guy and says, you're Superman, we will rip our shirt to check. <laughs> we can do anything with a woman behind us. Women are so powerful. Women have taken down nations and kingdoms, and they've also been the one behind the scenes building them up. You girls are powerful. <laughs> Nails. Nails. I am a nail. When you know the thing about nails is you only see the face of it. You don't see what's underneath it. Because what's underneath it is what's holding it together. It, see, in here, we all got our Mac, some of y'all, I don't do it, our Mac stuff on. Dooney and Burke and, and, and sh sh other th name brand stuff. 
and, and we're so cool. But here's the deal. It's the part that we don't see that determines whether or not we're a nail. Are we committed to God? Are we committed to others? Are we committed to God? Are we committed to others? That's the question. Men, we're nails as well. But when it comes to being a spiritual nail, we're a little bit different. Typically, typically, we're not as vocal or emotional about our walk with God. So all things remaining equal, a woman and a man who love the Lord equally, most of the time, the woman is far more vocal than the man. Here's the thing I'd like to say to us men. It's okay to be simple, just make sure you're significant. Let's make sure that our family is in the house of God. We can be quiet about that, but significant about it. Get your little rear end in the house of God. I got to take a sidebar for a second. So sometimes I talk like um, I'm, a, I'm half Italian, half Brazilian. Okay, remember where I'm at because I might get lost. Um, I'm half Italian, half Brazilian. And so uh, our church, we oversee 15 churches in Guatemala. So there's 15 churches out there. And these senior pastors look to us for financial help, all that kind of stuff. So what we did just this past week, we've got videos for you guys that we're going to show next week. But uh, what we did is we brought all those pastors together and brought them to Guatemala City. And uh, we gave them uh, a five-star restaurant experience. Some of them, their, their church is in the mountains. Uh, they walk into this five-star hotel and they're like, oh my goodness, we just spoiled them, spoiled them, spoiled them, spoiled them, spoiled them. And so then for two days, both me and my father... Uh, because they have two churches that oversee them and pour into them. Celebration Church and New Covenant uh, um, and Humble, my father's church. And that's it. If we decide we're not going to send any more money, all those people just shut the show down. All 15 churches right across the board and 150 kids in the feeding center that we provide. Doesn't that feel cool? Doesn't that feel cool? Anyway, I'm up there speaking with an interpreter. And I'm telling them exactly what I'm telling you, how important it is to get your family in church. And so I said, when my dad was raising me, he used to say, Frankie, get your fat head in the car. And like the way you guys started laughing, I didn't realize that there was a cultural gap. <laughs> and these Guatemalans were like, and then they all looked at my dad like, <clears throat> like he was horrible. And so I looked at dad and was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> I didn't register that, that, that cultural gap. But anyway, as a father, I didn't get lost. As a father, we got to make sure we can be simple about our approach, but we have to be significant. Get our family in the house of God. We have got to be a nail. Here's the other thing is our, the, the, our significance, the weight of who we are is determined by how much time we spend on our knees. When you stand before God, and when you've breathed your last breath, nobody's going to care about what kind of car you drove. Everything will be determined and weighed about how much time you spent on your knees. And how did you take care of your family? I went to uh, a funeral last year, and the kids were coming up. There were six of them. The kids were coming up, and they were telling everybody 
uh, different stories. And they didn't share notes, at least I don't think they did. But every single kid that got up there, these were, uh, these were adult kids. They said, man, daddy would text message me in the middle of the night out of nowhere. Stephanie, it was your dad. Uh, stand up, Stephanie. Um, it was her dad and Christian was in the first, what's that? Seven kids. So every single kid stood up and said, my dad would text message me in the middle of the night and just say, I love you. And what was so cool is they all had the same story. And what, what I got the idea, I don't know if this is true or not, but I just thought this while I was in the crowd, that each of those kids thought that they were the special one. <laughs> and then it was at the funeral, they were like, hold on, wait a minute here. And as I was sitting there in that funeral, I thought, one of these days I'm going to die. And my kids are going to say that. And I started thinking, how old, all of a sudden I wanted my kids to have cell phones. And my kids are little, and so I've been, the, I've been the dad like, you ain't getting a cell phone. I didn't even have a cell phone until I was 30 years old. <laughs> You're not getting a cell phone. All of a sudden, I wanted them to have cell phones so that I could text them and tell them how much I love them. And there's a short list. It's not a long list. It's a short list that we have got to be a nail for. We have got to be a nail for. We've got to be on our knees, and we have got to our family has got to know that we've got to be a nail. Everybody say, be a nail. Be a nail. I was um, at a, a sporting event recently, and uh, my kids are old enough to play sports now. And so when I go to these events, I get to see other parenting styles. And boy, is it interesting. <laughs> and uh, I saw this kid, he keeps on looking at his dad, keeps on looking at his dad for approval, keeps on looking at his dad for approval. And... Uh, I realize how important words are. This is one of the last things I'll ask you to write down, but words create worlds. If I step into your world, if I come to your house this afternoon, I come walking in, I will know within nanoseconds what kind of words get said in that house because you can feel it in the air. How many people know what I'm talking about? You can just feel it. Sometimes there's no words being said. Let me just say this incidentally. If there's somebody you love and you're not talking to them because they're mad at you, you're mad at them and they're mad at you and so there's no talking. When you're not talking to each other, Satan's talking to both of you. Just keep that in mind. Words, the lack thereof, words create worlds. And so we have got to be incredibly strategic with our words. I'll give you an example. Uh, Moses, the guy who separated the Red Sea and all the people walked through the Red Sea. Many of you know that Bible. When he passed, that Bible story, when he passed away, Joshua took over. And he was praying to God one time. He said, God, I know we need to take over that city, Jericho, but there's a huge wall around it and we're not strong enough to take it. And so God told Joshua the plan. And so Joshua came and told the, the people the plan. He said, this is the plan. We're going to walk around that city one time every day for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around that city seven times. 
All of a sudden, there's like murmuring, complaining, yak, 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 yak. And he goes, hey, 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 hey. One more thing. We're not allowed to talk to each other. Now think about it. Why do you think God didn't want them talking to each other? Somebody said it. Because they're probably a little bit like me. If I were in that group and Joshua said, i got to walk around the city and God's going to conquer it for us, this is what I'd be doing. I don't think he heard from God. <laughs> Joshua ain't no Moses. <laughs> ain't no Moses. Who is he? God ain't, God's smart. This is dumb. This is, I'm going to walk around this city. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to do this. But then when I'm done, I'm out of here. I'm done with old Joseph. I didn't even vote for him. Did you vote for him? I didn't vote for him. This is stupid. This is dumb. This is stupid. Have you met his mom too? Uh. That's exactly what would have been happening. And, and God knew there's power of life and death is in the power of your tongue. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. And because I know what you're going to say, keep your big mouth. I know that's not in the Bible, but that's what he meant. Keep your mouth shut. And then I only want you to open it one time. And when you finally are allowed to open it, I want you to praise me. That's the first thing I want you to come out of your mouth. I want you to praise me. And when they did that, they praised him. All of a sudden, the walls came down. But they had to praise him first. See, we have got to reach that point in our life where we learn to shout before the victory. Anybody can shout after the victory. But it takes somebody with some backbone to say, I am committed to God. I'm committed to the seven, eight, nine, ten people that God's put in my life. And I'm going to talk as if the battle is already won, though I'm in the middle of it. I'm committed to this. I'm a nail. You know, I've played sports my whole life. And uh, I've watched sports on TV, and I'll do it until Jesus comes back because sports is a gift from God. <laughs> ESPN in particular. But what I've learned is that losers moan and winners shout. How many of you have ever been in uh, Las Vegas in, in the rooms where, you, what do you call it, the, the gambling, uh, what, the casinos, casinos? Boy, I'm an expert. <laughs> it's not hard to find the people who have been losing. They look like they just drank something bad. It's not hard to find the people that are winning. Wow! have a story about not having anything like like my wife and I got married our tv was on a box and our our couch was carpet anyone have stories like that I could vacuum my whole apartment without pulling the plug out of the wall 
Anyone got stories like that? There we go. There we go. There we go. How many of you are making a story right now, right? You know when you tell stories like what I just told and you laugh about it? You're like, ah, I get back to my apartment without pulling the plug out. Ah, I used to have a rag for a gas cap. Ah. <laughs> hey, if we're going to laugh about it later, let's laugh about it now. I've said to my wife before, look, this isn't funny right now. I'm not ready to laugh about it now, but this will be funny one day. <laughs> that my friends that had their house flooded with two feet of water, they took a picture of goldfish this big. I have no idea. They're like steroid goldfish <laughs> swimming around their house. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, one of these days they're going to laugh at that. They're not laughing right now, but we're going to save this one. Because once we get out of this thing, and we will get out of this thing, how are we going to get out of it? I'm not budging. I'm going to hang on to God, and I'm going to hang on to my family, and I'm going to laugh later. I'm going to laugh later. Someone say, I am a nail. I'm supposed to be done, but i got to tell you this one last thing. I was reading this article uh, about this machine. It's called a, a seismological register. And, uh, and what it does is it, it registers earthquakes. And this particular article was written by a, a journalist who was in Scotland. And he was writing a story on this piece of machinery. And, and the guy, the scientist that... that that runs it or, or built it or, or controls it was telling the journalist about it. And he says, this machine, we take the instrument and we send it deep into the ground. It's, it's, it's protected by this capsule, like a big straw, if you will. And it, it's, it's protected and it goes deep into the ground. And, and he actually said this. He says, we can record an earthquake that takes place in Japan as accurately as if it were happening here in Scotland. It's an incredible piece of machinery. Well, the journalist said, this is crazy. How come the, the feed, the, the reading, the data is not compromised by all of the commotion that's on the ground just several thousand feet above? There's cars, there's people walking why isn't it compromised? And the, and the journalist said something so fascinating. He says this, We do not trouble ourselves with the vibrations on the surface. We only measure from the depths. What's on the surface is pleasing to the eye. But what carries you through a season is what's under the surface. The strength of a nail is not what you can see. It's how deep it is into the board. 
It's how deep is it? And you don't know how strong you are until being strong is your only option. And I want to encourage you. You are a nail and you're always stronger than you think you are. And some of the people in this room right now are going to have an outward expression of a decision that they have already made in the depths of their soul. And we have the privilege of sharing in that moment right now. Why don't you turn the lights down and take a look at this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left a country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we'd packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the signal of the end, of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. But God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. But throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remembering that you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans, they're cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. 
no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Love the Lord your God with all of your passion, with all of your prayer, with all of your muscle, with all of your intelligence. Because everlasting, abundant, and overflowing life is here today. We're going public with this. Christ is risen.